0: Hi, my name's Alex Kelly, co-founder of Bright Flag, and this is In-house Outliers, a podcast where I interview those who've taken unconventional paths and challenged conventional notions of how in-house legal should operate. I'm joined today on the podcast by Jessica Vanderpleg. Jessica is a Senior Director of Legal Operations at Microfocus and As you will hear, she is a truly inspiring leader who epitomizes resilience and positivity. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: I'm so excited to be here, Alex. Thank you for having me.
0: Jessica, let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up?
1: So I grew up in California. I was born in Hayward and I was raised in the Bay Area. And I spent the first 21 years of my life within 30 miles of where I was born.
0: And Jessica, I know you were a talented student in high school. Where did you decide to go on to study in college and why?
1: So I think this one's going to surprise you, at least the journey it takes us down. I decided to go to St. Mary's College in California. I was offered a full ride academic scholarship to attend their nursing program. And after about three and a half weeks, I withdrew and told them I didn't need the scholarship. I wasn't going to come back. And it was a very early lesson in knowing what you don't like is as important as knowing what you do like. And I ended up actually going to a community college for a little while. While I figured out where I was headed and what I wanted to do, I quickly learned that nursing was not my passion, and I wanted to make sure that what I was doing was something that I was passionate about. And I learned that business and the mind and how it works in business settings was an area that I had a real passion for. And so I ended up being offered another full ride, but this time for sports. I, was, I played sports my entire life, mainly soccer. And I ended up actually going to Cal State East Bay for a number of years before moving to Nevada. But I actually obtained both of my degrees from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, both my bachelor's and my master's degree.
0: There's so much, Jessica, there, like the first thing that jumps out at me is that incredibly powerful advice at any stage in life and kind of knowing what you want, knowing what you don't want and having the kind of courage in your convictions to act on that. And at that early stage to kind of make such a kind of dramatic change of direction takes a lot of uh a lot of courage. I was interested to hear then as well that you're you um, you were um a talented sports person. Soccer was your sport. The Irish women's soccer team actually qualified for the World Cup for the first time ever yesterday. There's a lot of celebration here at the moment. And I know women's soccer globally is going from strength to strength. What, what position did you play, Jessica?
1: So first, congratulations. And second, I was a goalie.
0: Ah, very good. Okay. Okay. And that That is a kind of unique position for anyone who's not that familiar with soccer in terms of the concentration it involves. The it kind of can be a little bit of a lonely position, but that that was your your passion.
1: It was, it absolutely was. I loved it, but it's really interesting. You don't see it often, but there's so much coordination that happens from a goalie, whether you're telling your team where to move or how to move or where things are coming next, push forward, fall back, come this direction. And so I think that actually lent itself well in my future life of people management and figuring out where the blind spots were and where to focus. So it was a really interesting transition from sports to business.
0: And I'm curious to understand, I I know, certainly for Irish female soccer players kind of per- pursuing a professional career path as a soccer player is, is something that uh, that has only re- really recently become viable w- was it something you considered at that point in college was that a was that what you were kind of working towards or were you very clear then that you were going down a business route and it was kind of fun and hugely advantageous to be able to kind of play soccer during your time in college
1: So I think when I was in high school, I had the thought of, I'm going to try and go pro. I'm going to see where this can take me. And once I got into college and started taking the courses and realizing what really drove me, that's when I realized that business was it for me. So I definitely took a step back from soccer in my later years of college and really focused on my studies and where do I go next? Does a secondary degree make sense? It was definitely a change of plans.
0: And you you mentioned the fact that you then you ultimately graduated and studied in, in Las Vegas. And I know you then joined Precision Opinion as the chief of staff to the CEO. I'm really interested to understand how steep a learning curve that was for you, kind of coming straight out of college into a role like that, working directly with the CEO of a large business.
1: You know, it's interesting. The role itself didn't feel as challenging as I thought it would be. It was understanding how to work with an executive that was more challenging. Understanding that every executive has their own personality, own needs and wants and desires. They want things said a certain way, written a certain way. They want people to see them a certain way. And so the role itself of figuring out how to manage people, figuring out how to get messages out and get things done quickly, that felt a little more natural to me, but trying to understand the personality aspect of things. And what does this individual want next? Because I think that being a chief of staff really is being a few steps ahead of whatever leader that you're working with. So you can try and anticipate some of their needs and wants and come prepared with different things that they may need or want. So that aspect was definitely the more challenging side for me
0: building that kind of situational awareness, which I think is such a critical skill. And I'm curious now with the benefit of hindsight, looking back, what do you think were the biggest kind of learnings outside of that, that kind of interacting and kind of, as you said, thinking a few steps ahead of the CEO, what were the biggest earnings that you took with you from the kind of four years you were in the role?
1: Sure, absolutely. So I think some of the biggest learnings were around people, I think sometimes we take for granted just how incredibly important the people are, the people we work with as peers, the people we report to, the people that report to us, those relationships and treating individuals with care and and ensuring that, that they're well taken care of in their role plays such a huge impact in if they show up for work, how they're showing up for work, how the company is performing based on what they as employees are doing, So being able to realize just how important people are and that we often are the reason that they're showing up. Obviously there's a monetary aspect to work, but when you show up and you're doing a hard job, it's so much easier to do that hard job when you enjoy where you are, when you enjoy the people that you're working around. So it was a big learning for me, but also that compassion goes so much further than you think. For those that don't know, Precision Opinion was a call center. And most of the employees at the time, Of the 500 or so employees that we had, about 450 plus of them were working for minimum wage. They had tough backgrounds. They were trying to find themselves again. And so having compassion for those individuals and what they were facing and why they maybe didn't show up to work or what they were going through on that day really changed the dynamic of how things were happening at Precision Opinion and how those employees felt and what type of output you would get or or what type of engagement you would get. I think one of the last big things that I learned there was about executive presence. I was very lucky to work with a great CEO there, and he was all about learning. How do we get people to learn? How do we engage them early? How do we ensure they have opportunities? So I had the opportunity to present in front of individuals at the time. I had no business presenting in front of, but it gave me the ability to sit in the room and watch how other people interact to learn what that interaction should look like and then to an extent initially mimic some of that while I learned what worked for me. So it really gave me the ability to find myself in that boardroom and to figure out what people were expecting of me and how I was being perceived and then using that to my advantage to say well in this situation this is the, you know, the type of persona you should be bringing Or in this situation, these are the types of questions or answers that you should be giving. So it was a ton of, back to your point, situational awareness.
0: And that learning by osmosis, Jessica, at such an early stage in your career, kind of shadowing and being so close with the CEO is hugely formative. And and it, it certainly sounds like you took great learnings from that time. And you then found your way into the legal world, I understand, at litigation services. How did that come about?
1: It was all chance. And and I will tell anyone that asks that my career is a lot of open doors by the universe or whatever word you choose to describe it. And me immediately saying yes and walking through that open door. A recruiter reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, I have this incredible opportunity. You could run operations for a global court reporting company. I think you'd be perfect for it. I was in the middle of completing my master's degree and they were willing to be flexible with that. And I said, let's do it. I've never done court reporting. I didn't fully appreciate that it was an industry all on its own with so many sub facets and functions. And so I raised my hand and I ran straight to it as quick as I could. And can you walk us
0: through then your core responsibilities leading operations business?
1: Sure. I'd be happy to. So I managed global operations for their entire court reporting business, which included seven departments. So I had scheduling, billing, transcripts, depository, videography, customer service, and affiliate relations. And that was my big focus for the first two-ish years that I was there. After that, we took a turn and said, we are no longer going to have a focus to grow just naturally and organically. We're going to start on the m a side of things. So we started acquiring companies at pace, and a big portion of my role then became how do we integrate these companies once they're acquired? Do we fully integrate? Do we centralize? So day-to-day, I had to ensure the business was running properly. Are transcripts on time? Are we hitting our billing numbers? Are we onboarding enough interpreters? Did the court reporter show up on time? Is the attorney happy? Everything focused around if the attorney was happy. So there was a lot of customer service in what I was doing. But then there was the strategic side of things. If we changed the flow of the room where transcripts would were produced... Could we produce more in a day? If we retrained the individuals that were processing the transcripts and we removed two clicks from their process, what does that do from a productivity standpoint? Could we produce an extra three a day or five a day? And acquisitions were by far the largest and hardest part of that job. Working for a smaller company, I wore many hats. So whether it was we made an acquisition and we have redundancies and our HR department's out. Jessica, can you manage the redundancies? Sure, of course I can. Or we have a number of people we need to figure out how to integrate. Can you meet with the leaders of that organization and test their appetite for what integration looks like? And so that's where the learnings on executive presence and situational awareness came into play to say, is this something where we're going to do it by brute force? Or is this something where we're going to do it collaboratively? And learning early on that i thought brute force was oftentimes the right way and very quickly discerning that it was not <laughs> that collaboration was the key and that getting through some of those steps and doing it collaboratively was really how we got through a number of the acquisitions successfully
0: it strikes me the kind of the breadth of the role and the adaptability that necessitates in kind of throwing yourself into acquisition work, driving efficiency and delivery of your core, offering, engaging in customer support and ensuring customer satisfaction is where it needs to be. And presumably what it also gave you was that kind of exposure to the legal ecosystem that you maybe didn't have before. And did you find you were kind of building domain context and understanding that has proven incredibly important
1: subsequently in legal ops? Absolutely. So it's interesting how a lot of the context don't actually cross over from court reporting to legal operations as seamlessly as I thought they would. But having the understanding of how a law firm works, what partners expect, how paralegals or legal assistants are treated, what they are expected to do on behalf of the attorney that they're working with or the partner that they're supporting gives such clarity to the ecosystem, as you mentioned, But also understanding that there are so many roles and facets within this ecosystem. So when someone now says to me, we had to do a deposition, I think had I not had that experience before, I would have just thought, oh, you know, someone shows up, they take your statement, no big deal. And now I think there's seven departments that go into the coordination of that. Did your court reporter show up on time? Did you need a videographer? Was it picture in picture? Are you going to need this for trial? Do we need additional certifications? Was there an interpreter required? Did they show up? There's so much that goes into it that it's a really interesting and complicated industry that I think better prepared me for what to expect of the legal industry as a whole.
0: I think that empathy and understanding goes such a long way. And just the mindset, as you highlighted, of Partners within a law firm, paralegals—the kind of nuts and bolts of how it all fits together—and what can be an incredibly fast-paced environment. And I can see how beneficial that would have been. Moving forward, then, what attracted you to to joining Elevate?
1: Initially, I was intrigued in working in a new area of legal. As interesting and exciting as court reporting can be, when I left the court reporting industry, there was a massive court reporter shortage court reporting schools were shutting down. There were not enough court reporters coming through the system. And so it made it very difficult to fill the needs of the attorneys. And so as that transition was happening from standard court reporters to digital, the industry was in a state of flux. And I thought this is an incredible time to learn a new area, to test out legal skills with a new company. And the position was remote, which was very enticing. It was pre-COVID, Not a lot of companies were offering remote work, and I had just had my second son. He was two months old when Elevate reached out to me, and I thought, well, this is an incredible time, and what an opportunity. I didn't know initially that as I was going through this interview process that the client that I would be fully dedicated to was NetApp. So it was under wraps initially, and once I got to the point of meeting with Connie Brenton, they obviously told me the company. Once I knew the company and the individual that I was working with, it was a no-brainer, I wanted to be able to work alongside the best. I wanted to be able to work alongside what I consider to be the mother of legal operations in a department that is world-class and see how it functions and see how it works. So the initial enticement was Elevate and the way that they functioned. But once I knew who I'd be working for, that definitely sealed the deal for me.
0: And that's interesting. So the role, even your initial time with Elevate was entirely focused with NetApp. And I'm curious... What do you think are the benefits of working and learning in such an advanced legal operations team, as you highlighted it, which has been a trailblazer in the space?
1: Absolutely. So I think it's really interesting the way in which I moved from Elevate to NetApp. It allowed me to gain some trust and credibility early on that I didn't need day one at NetApp because I'd been able to build it over the months before. But as you start to work in a department like that, You start to realize that this department is known for beta testing and you get to play with every fun technology in the marketplace. You get to see all of these incredible technologies and really understand how the marketplace is advancing, what new tech is coming on board. Something that I thought was so interesting at NetApp that I had never seen anywhere else was when someone was interested in testing new technology, for example, our IT department, they came to legal for beta testers. Hey, Legal, we know that you know the marketplace. We know that you're trailblazers. We know that you're beta testers. Will you test this product alongside us? And so we were the first adopter of a chat bot for NetApp. And so we got to do that alongside IT because they knew that we wanted to be out there and we wanted to be testing things. There's also this incredible advantage to see what best in class looks like. It's so hard to visualize and conceptualize the absolute best that you could ever think of. It's always just incremental. I think that we could shave two days off of our turn time for these contracts, or I think we could speed up this process if we use automation or workflow technology. But to be able to see all of that happening in real time, to be able to see the wheels turning and the pieces connecting, it gives you this awareness of the art of the possible. So it's no longer, maybe you could do this, maybe these technologies can connect, maybe we can be better. They do connect, we are better, it is possible. And so that awareness allowed me to do so much more when I started at Micro Focus. The really interesting thing, too, about NetApp is that they have this incredible mentoring network, which obviously Connie Brenton is a big part of. And I think that being a trailblazer in that space allows them to mentor in a different way. So it's pushing people to their boundaries, putting them in situations where they are uncomfortable, but in a positive way pushing them to learn, allowing them to automate. And as you start to automate and see the art of the possible, you start to get out into the legal ecosystem as well. So with the trailblazing nature that came with NetApp, also came networking opportunities, speaking opportunities, the ability to have a voice, which I don't know would have been innately given had I been in a different space, a different company. So there are just there was so much benefit to being there for me.
0: It's fascinating, like the the expression Rome wasn't built in a day that like, as you say, you've joined Micro Focus now, it takes time to implement all of the systems and processes and changes to get to best in class. But having that kind of formative experience, working in a best in class environment and knowing how it works, what the culture looks like, that kind of. Attitude within the legal team, as you say, which is, is understood within the wider business. That is pretty unique that legal is being pulled into other, other initiatives for their feedback speaks to the culture. First of all, and that mindset, and I can see how impactful that would be honing in on Connie specifically. Then as, as a mentor for you, what does she mean for you in your own development as, as a legal apps leader?
1: Connie helped to shape me as a legal ops leader, and I owe her so much credit for everything that she's done for me over the years. When I was at NetApp, she pushed me out of my comfort zone every single day. And I remember days thinking and telling Connie, I don't like you very much today, Connie, because this is uncomfortable or this is hard. And she would tell me, it'll only be uncomfortable or hard for a day or two. You'll nail it. No big deal. This is going to be great for your career. But she pushed me to be that leader. She pushed me to ask questions. And one of the most beneficial things that she and other mentors that I've had in the past did, they told me things I didn't want to hear, but that I knew that I needed to. Mm -hmm. So we would meet every day, but we would have formal sit-downs every quarter. And she would tell me things like, you're not out there enough. You're not speaking enough. You haven't grown your network enough. When you're doing this, it really should be this. And oh, by the way, have you thought about taking on this next big project? And I would always leave those meetings thinking, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. I don't really want to be out there networking. Are you sure I'm ready for that big project? And she had such faith in me that it gave me a lot of faith in myself. And honestly, just the aspect of hearing things you don't necessarily want to hear, but knowing that you need to was one of my biggest takeaways I've had. I've learned about myself that I don't need the rainbows. I don't need the sunshine. I need someone to call me on my crap, for lack of a better term, I need someone that's going to say, are you sure that's where you should be focusing? Are you sure you're not pushing yourself, that you shouldn't be pushing yourself harder? So that ability to say, can you do more? Is there more out there? Do you have your goals written down? Are you chasing them? Do you know what you want to be when you grow up? Which Connie and I had that conversation multiple times. And so just having someone alongside you that believes in you, that's willing to push you, that's willing to call you out and say, are you doing enough? That was so incredibly beneficial to me during my time there.
0: It's remarkable having that person as your leader, your manager, your mentor, that is pushing you, as you say, out of your comfort zone on a daily basis. And that is what kind of enables those kind of step changes, in, in my experience, in a team member's development and their ability to, to kind of ultimately become a leader in their own right. And I'm interested to understand, you referenced the fact you were kind of being given projects to run yourself and more responsibility than maybe at the time you felt you could handle knowing that you Connie you had your back and believed in you. Can you walk us through, Jessica, how your core responsibilities and role evolved during your time at NetApp?
1: Sure. I'm happy to. So initially, it was really getting on board, getting up to speed, understanding the way in which projects worked, what responsibilities I would have, and just going through these various learning opportunities. So it was my attempt to understand the business, the role, and the industry With each new area or project or technology that I took on, things started to grow. So for example, I started with legal hold and e-discovery. And once I knew it well enough to transfer it to someone else on the team, I moved on to CLM. And once I knew CLM well enough to train someone else on our team to manage it, then I stepped into workflow automation. So it was almost as if I was walking through the various core areas in legal operations as I continued to grow. And so each day was a new learning experience and each day was a new and larger project. So they started with things like we need to change the way in which our CLM is working from a geography and a region perspective and how our workflow automation is interplaying with that. So we worked through the nuts and bolts of that. But then it became projects like our international headquarters is changing. We have thousands of agreements that need novation. We need to find a way to use technology to do this because we don't have the time or the luxury of using people. And that's just not the way NetApp did things. So being able to work through three providers, three technologies, how those are going to interact and interplay with one another. Can they connect? Should they connect? When do they connect? Can we do things via API where there's an automatic kickoff of actions or does it need to be a manual push and pull? And so starting to think through all of the complexities of a project like that, very different from where I started, which was, can you learn the technology that we're using and learn it well enough to train it and pass it to someone else? So it came early on with technologies and then finished with very complex projects that engage multiple individuals and functional groups within the business.
0: And It strikes me that that was very much a kind of an MBA in in legal operations, as you kind of highlighted, building on the foundations of an incredibly advanced department, which enabled you to kind of do incredibly sophisticated things at scale, like that project innovating thousands of of contracts, which many legal departments would throw people at. And I imagine that was a a huge win for the organization and a great learning experience. I'm curious, when you look back now, is there a particular project that jumps out that you were involved with that had the biggest impact during your time at NetApp?
1: You know, I don't know if there's one specific project, but I honestly think it was our rollout of a variety of workflow automation. And so when I say that, we used TAP at the time at NetApp. With each new and complex workflow that we rolled out, even if legal wasn't involved, we were a part of, of the planning process, of the testing process, of the vetting process. And that technology allowed legal ops to start to ingrain themselves within the business. Our relationship with finance improved. Our impact on our financials was made because legal ops was able to save that department thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so it was the rollout of that technology and the continued rollout of workflows that really made in my opinion, one of the biggest impacts because it allowed us to be integrated into the business. It allowed us to save legal money. It allowed us to save the company money, but it also became an evangelical tool where you start to really understand your business partners. You start to understand their wants and their needs and how we as legal can impact what the company as a whole is doing, which I think we always do it when it comes to contract. Legal will come and they'll negotiate a contract and they make an impact, good, bad, or otherwise. But this was an impact where we could say we had tangible results. We had people's lives and jobs that were better off because of this. We made connections. There was just so much holistic impact when rolling out that technology and those subsequent workflows. Um. Moving
0: forward then Jessica. You were part of this incredible team, you had an incredible mentor who was pushing you out of your comfort zone. What led you to MicroFocus and your role there leading legal ops?
1: Sure, absolutely. An individual within the industry introduced me to someone named Janet McCarthy. I said you're going to love her. She's phenomenal. Yeah, but I really love Connie. And so I met with Janet and she is very similar to Connie in so many ways. They are both fierce, powerful female leaders that make them even more enticing to work with. And they're just trailblazers in their respective areas. Janet was just taking over the chief legal officer role at Micro Focus. And she and I met and she said, I think you need to come run legal ops for us. And we talked about Microfocus Legal being this incredible place, but it needed a little bit of a revamp. You know, we weren't sure if we needed to just put up some new wallpaper or whether we needed to knock down a wall or replace the windows, but we knew there was work to be done. We knew that we were in this, on this incredible block, but our house just needed a little bit of a, a facelift, we needed to do a few tweaks here and there. And she said, you can put your spin on it. You can take all of your learnings from NetApp and bring them here. You can engage with anyone in this department, bring the technology, bring the automation, The legal department is your canvas and we want to make it beautiful and we want to make it world-class. Do you want to come do this alongside me? And at that point, I knew that Janet was a leader that I wanted to work for and work alongside. And I knew that I wanted to take that next big, scary leap and figure out who I was as a legal operations leader, not under Connie. I had learned so much from her and given the opportunity, I might work with Connie lifelong, but it was this new and exciting opportunity, and I knew that I could put my name on it, and I knew that I could make an impact. And so being able to, to make that jump and to be fully supported by Connie and Janet in that transition, it was just something that I, I couldn't turn down. And I had seen the art of the possible at NetApp, and now I could actually do it on my own somewhere else.
0: That's so interesting. And I was working as an associate in a law firm, working for an incredible partner who I was learning so much from and Not dissimilar to how you've spoken about your relationship with Connie. He pushed me out of my comfort zone every day, gave me more responsibility than I was comfortable with. And I could see a kind of a great career staying within his team, but then a really exciting opportunity to start Bright Flag Arose and and a different experience working with Ian, my co-founder and all of the things I learned working and being challenged by Tim, my former boss, really enabled me to take on that challenge in the way that, that it sounds like you have as well. I was lucky, Jessica, to have the chance to to spend some time getting to know you at Summit by the Sea recently, the Legal Operators Conference, and have dinner with you. And it, truthfully, it was one of the most impactful things that I took away from the entire conference was that, that time I spent with you and learning your story. And I wonder whether you'd be comfortable sharing the personal challenges you faced during your first few months with Micro Focus and, and how you dealt with them.
1: I would be happy to. And I felt very similar. It was so incredible to meet you at the Legal Operators event, be able to have that conversation. So thank you for spending the time and for inviting me here today. So in between, I'll give a little bit of context, in between NetApp and Micro Focus, I had a little bit of time off and I thought, I'm going to take care of everything I've been putting up. I'm going to run to the dentist, I'm going to run to the doctor, I'm going to do all my errands and make sure that when I step into Micro Focus, that I'm doing it in a manner where I feel good and I feel ready and I feel settled. And I did all of those things. I felt great stepping in. I do my first day at MicroFocus. I'm just about to log off and I see that I get a call from my doctor. So I step out of my work office. I take the phone call and he said, have you seen your results online yet? And I thought, no, today was my first day at a new job. I haven't seen them yet. Can you tell me about them? And he said, well, I'm really sorry to have to tell you this, but you've been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And three days before that, I had a biopsy on my thyroid and I thought normal stuff, no big deal. They'll call and tell me it's no big deal. I'll go on about my life. And so now it was my first day at a new job and I now had cancer. And I thought, I can't go tell my new boss I have cancer. It's my first day at work. What is she going to think? And then it settled in and I thought, Janet's such an incredible person. She needs to be one of my first phone calls. She needs to understand, you know, what she's getting into, what I'm getting into. And in case anything comes where there needs to be appointments and things like that, she and I need to be aligned. So I had this incredible conversation with Janet, one of the most supportive conversations I had during my entire time of dealing with this. And she said, look, you have all the leeway in the world, everything at Micro Focus can and will wait if it needs to. Your health is the most important thing right now. Go do anything and everything that you need to do to take care of yourself. Microfocus will be here when you're done. And that gave me the ability to have a sense of peace as I was dealing with all of this, as I was figuring out how do I make it to these appointments? What needs to be done? How serious is this? Because when they initially tell you, they just say, hey, you have cancer. And then when you ask follow-up questions, they say, ooh, you need to see a specialist for that. So there wasn't a lot of information those first few weeks. I think that working for both Janet and Connie has given me the ability to be able to push myself and others in ways most might not. So I was very, very lucky in the sense that I had a slow-growing form of cancer, I had a non-aggressive form of cancer, and they could remove part or all of my thyroid, and I could still be perfectly healthy. I was very, very blessed in the sense that I went from having cancer to being completely cancer-free in 30 days. And within those first 30 days of micro focus, I ended up having surgery to remove part of my thyroid. And Janet, being the wonderful person she is, said, clear your calendar for as long as you want to. Me, being the semi-defiant and very determined individual that I am, said, day three, I'd like to meet with a law firm. <laughs> so it was this ebb and flow of how do I give myself enough grace to be able to heal? And mentally, how do I keep myself involved enough to keep my mind off of all of this so that I'm able to move through this and continue to be me, who is a driven and engaged individual that doesn't like to take a ton of time off. I love spending time with my family. I love doing the things that I need to do, but I like to be engaged in work. So Janet helped me to find that balance of healing and also still being engaged and keeping my mind off of things. I think one of the best things that I was able to do while going through all of this was to have a positive mindset. I remember my family thinking, Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And I'm like, no, 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 this is an easy cancer. I have unicorn cancer. They're like, you can't call cancer, unicorn cancer. That's not right. And I thought, but why? Like why can't we just have a positive attitude about this? And I remember seeing my doctor and him saying, It's only stage one. It's a little bit large, but we should be able to take care of it. Worst case scenario, you end up having some type of radiation therapy. And it was, there was a specific name for it. But I remember at the time thinking, it kind of sounds like what happens when you become a superhero. And I remember telling my doctor that, and he's like, that's not okay. You can't say those things. And I'm like, but I can, everyone deals with these things differently and having this kind of positive, silly outlook on all of it helped me to get through it in a manner that worked for me. So everyone's going to have their own way of getting through it. Everyone's version of this is going to be different, but me having that positive outlook and being able to kind of joke with my doctors and my family through this while still having that connection to work and colleagues helped me to be able to push through this and get through this and, and to be able to get the support that I needed. When they initially told me about the diagnosis, they said, we might be able to have someone see you in three months. And I thought, three months of uncertainty, that doesn't sound like fun at all. And instead, it was a few days of uncertainty, followed by an appointment, a surgery, and then me being very grateful that I got that phone call on my 30 day mic- mark at Microfocus saying that you are now cancer free.
0: Jessica, like, first and foremost, thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Wonderful that you are fully recovered and, as you say, cancer free. So inspiring to see your attitude your positivity the strength of character to deal with what has affected so many people and many people i'm sure will be able to relate to your story of of a diagnosis for themselves or a loved one but to see that strength of character and that positivity bringing that to how you dealt with the news and how you you worked through all of that. And you so elegantly spoke about number one, the, the support you got from micro focus and from your legal leadership and how important that was to you to give you the space that you needed. And, and secondly, the role work played as a, as a way of taking your mind off of things and something that you found helpful. I really appreciate your openness and kind of talking about that kind of um, conflict between your boss telling you to take as much time as you need and you saying, well, no, I need I need work to some extent as well. Do you know what drives your work ethic and, and that that love of work and and that that incredible mindset that you have? Because that was the other big thing that came away from my conversation with you in person was how much you get done, how insanely focused you are and and how productive you are. And is is there something within you that drives that, do you think?
1: I think a big part of it goes back to me being an athlete from the very early days of my life and that competitive nature. I think you called it out early on. Being a goalie can sometimes be lonely in the back side of the field and you're kind of waiting for things to happen, but it also requires you to almost be competitive with yourself. And that's something that I've realized works very well for me. I don't strive to be better than anyone aside from a younger or a yesterday's version of myself. So my competition is always me. How can I do something that will be better than what I did yesterday? How do I strive to get more done today? Or how do I ensure that the things that I'm working on are those of importance? And so I set those goals against a prior version of myself. And I think that there is a big drive for me to do better than the generation that came before me. So whether that be giving my kids the best upbringing that they could have, or Being the best employee that I can be, I always want to ensure that what I'm doing is a better version of what came before me, whether it be the role or myself or or a generation before. I want to make sure that I'm doing the best to my ability. And so I continue to push myself to say, what more can be done? What more can be accomplished? Are we moving fast enough? And honestly, that's something that I struggle with sometimes is, are we moving fast enough? And sometimes fast enough to me isn't necessarily fast enough to someone else. And so being able to take a step back and say, okay, maybe we are moving fast enough. Maybe this is good at the moment. It can be challenging because I'm like, well, no, I think I think tomorrow we could be faster. (laughs) And that, that can be challenging at times.
0: I can completely relate to that and similarly have always kind of placed a premium on getting a lot done, working hard. I don't know that I've kind of grappled with what drives it in in, uh, as articulate a way as you have. Definitely having children, I think, is a a pretty compelling, motivating factor to provide them with everything they need to be loved, to be successful in the world. So I I completely relate to that. It feels somewhat trite, I have to say, Jessica, moving on to, to discussing kind of maybe more kind of tactical legal operations issues after you sharing such an, an incredible story about how you uh, dealt with your cancer diagnosis and recovery. But I might move on to just understand you've joined MicroFocus. It's a globally distributed legal leadership team. It is something many businesses are grappling with at the moment. We ourselves, I think, are both globally distributed between the US and Europe and APAC, uh, and also trying to navigate the best approach to hybrid work. I'm in the office today, and for the first time in a long time, I struggle to get a meeting room because it's starting to become more common for people to be in the office a little bit more. But you're obviously working remotely. You're working as part of this globally distributed team. How are you approaching that? And how are you thinking about that as a legal leadership group?
1: So, for me and for us, I think it's about building relationships. A number of the individuals within our legal executive team are newer to the organization. And so taking the time out to meet the individuals that we're going to be working with us, whether it be peers, someone we're reporting into, or someone who reports into us, and just being able to start understanding who they are as people, because the people aspect always needs to come first. A meeting doesn't always have to be work-related, at least not every aspect of it. I think that there are ways to connect via Zoom, which we're starting to try and to test out to say, how much interaction can we get via Zoom? Can we start to develop some of those feelings that you get from meeting in person via Zoom? And at times the answer is yes. And at times the answer is no. So we're starting by getting to know the individuals, figuring out what venues work best for us. And then we're starting to sprinkle in very intentional travel. So I was in Florida last week with my legal ops team, me and one other individual, and we attended a conference together. It was a wonderful learning experience for us, but at the same time, it was a great bonding experience to be able to say, this is how we work together. This is what you are like as an individual. This is what I'm like as an individual. And this is what we want to accomplish as a team. Myself and a few other members of the team are also gonna be heading out to California for the end of our fiscal year. So very strategic travel to say, this is going to make an impact and this is where we want to be. Outside of that, we're starting to ask individuals, do you want to be in the office? What makes sense for you and your schedule? What makes sense for your family? And then being very respectful of a variety of wishes while balancing what makes most sense for Microfocus. And I'm not speaking for Microfocus as a whole here by any means, but if for me and my team, we work well remotely and we're able to connect with strategic travel, I'm absolutely supportive of that. And if it makes more sense to come into person for other individuals and go, go into the office, we're going to support that as well.
0: Such great advice, that sort of intentional usage of travel and events and in-person meetings. I'm just back from the Clock EMEA conference in London, and it was such a fantastic opportunity, much like meeting you at Legal Operators, you you have a different, at, at Summit by the Sea, you have a very different type of conversation with people in person. And, and it was a chance for me to to spend time with some of our team that I don't see on a daily basis, with customers who were there, with other partners in the ecosystem, other people who've been on the podcast. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think if you're very organized, intentional, understand the, the role that it's playing, you're not, as you say, you're not just attending the event for the learnings you take from the event. It's for the bonding, for the relationship building. And I think that's such a, a great kind of pragmatic approach. I know you're obviously just getting your feet under the desk at MicroFocus. Can you give us a sense of some of the areas that you're kind of focusing on or honing in on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So our three biggest areas of focus right now are commercial contracting, legal spend, and technology. So as a subset to that, we're starting to look at how do we improve our deal velocity? Are there things that we can do to automate certain aspects of attorney work to remove some of the mundane, the administrative, the less strategic, to allow them to focus on big deals or strategic work? Are there ways in which we can use our CLM or Salesforce or another technology to improve what they are doing? And are the things that we're currently doing and using appropriate. So for example, do we have balanced templates? Will that make an impact on our attorney's lives, our sales individual's lives, our customers' lives? Absolutely. And it's an easy win. Let's start there. And then start to integrate technology into those types of things. Are there administrative things that our commercial attorney shouldn't be doing during end of quarter that we ops or someone else can take off their plate? Yes, absolutely. Great. Let's do those things for them. From a spend perspective, we started to look at Do we have the right law firms and attorneys onboarded? Are we using them for the appropriate matters? I think that there's a very clear separation between kind of cream, core, and commodity work. Are you using a law firm that fits in that cream category to do commodity work? And does that make sense? Are we going to outside counsel for things that someone in-house should be able to manage? Can we use something like a Bloomberg or a PLC to be able to provide answers that we would have previously gone to a law firm for? And can technology or an alternative legal service provider start to take over some of those things that a law firm used to do? So we've been able to to make a drastic reduction in what we're spending with outside counsel, specifically using that type of mindset, as well as an overlay of technology. And although technology is thematic through all of these things, it's been really important for us to start to build out a technology roadmap. So what do we have currently? Is it working? Do we like it? Do we wanna upgrade it or replace it? What other technologies do we want in house and what impact are they gonna have? So one of our biggest areas of focus from a technology is what's not in house and what do we want immediately? So we've been able to do three proof of concepts from a technology perspective in the last five months. And we've been able to onboard two of those three technologies with the third very close behind it. So we've been able to start building workflows through a workflow automation tool we've been able to start benchmarking third-party paper against the marketplace and a playbook of our own to say, where do we focus? Can we truncate negotiation? And then we're very, very close to the onboarding of a, like a, a Google search for contracts. So it's that AI Google search ability to be able to say, what's in my contracts? Are there things I should be concerned about? Are there things that are always negotiated that we can change? So what is the data kind of locked in those contract jails and how do we get it out and how do we make it actionable? Those are our main areas of focus currently.
0: It's funny, Jessica, when I'm speaking to people who are maybe moving into legal operations for the first time or coming into a role for the first time, Something I've observed is there can sometimes be a tendency to take on too much and kind of overpromise and under-deliver. And, and I think with you, given both your experience, your work ethic, your mindset, having seen what great looks like at NetApp. That incredibly ambitious program that you've outlined there at a very early stage to be at a point where you're already going live with a number of solutions to drive efficiencies in the contracting space. You're already looking holistically at the resourcing strategy and making an impact from a cost perspective, a service delivery perspective is is truly remarkable. And I would say not the norm. And I think yeah, I think your, your kind of ceiling of how many things you can get done is truly remarkable and impressive work in, in a very short space of time.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. I, I will say it goes back to my challenge with speed where I stopped to think, but have we done enough? Should we be taking on more? Thankfully, I have a very, very talented individual that sits alongside me to help with all of this. But It's one of those things where as long as you can prioritize, you can get so much done. It's once you get stuck in the weeds of there's so much to do, where do I start? That it can be immobilizing. And I've had feelings like that. There's so much, where do we begin? But when you start to take those bite-sized pieces, you start to see the progress. You start to see the impact. And it's got that snowball effect. Once it starts small and you start to make an impact, it gets big pretty quick.
0: I know from day one, you've had the backing and the support of uh, a really inspiring CLO. That's sort of the impact of those projects and the rest of the legal team, the broader business, observing that, seeing that, benefiting from that accelerates that snowball to some extent, I think, and making it easier to kind of get buy-in for for the subsequent things you're looking to do. And I know I promised you, I'd try to keep you under an hour. I think we could go here for a, a much longer period of time. So I, I might move on to just talk briefly about your work in the in the wider ecosystem and how you're giving back to the community. Because what I'm certainly seeing is, as the legal ops community kind of Matures from what started as a book club. Connie started with a few other people back in 2014, 2015, to where we are today, where you have the massive industry groups like Clock. You have groups like Legal Operators and Link, all serving a different purpose. You have been involved specifically as an advisory board member of CLI. Can you tell us a little bit about your work with CLI and and its role within that kind of legal ops community?
1: I, I would absolutely love to. I think that you made one really good point that I want to just quickly touch on nothing is possible within legal and legal operations without an incredibly impactful, powerful, fierce chief legal officer or GC. None of what I'm doing would be able to be done at the speed and pace at which it's been done without someone like Janet by my side. So I think you made a really incredible point there. And and we all need to appreciate our GCs that are standing alongside of us and pushing for legal operations and, and the funding and things of that nature. But CLI, so I'm incredibly passionate about CLI. My first day at NetApp, Connie said to me, we're putting on a webinar series. 24 people are going to speak. We need to figure out how to manage it. What do you think we're going to do? And then we sat down and we started planning it. We are very close to starting the planning of year five of CLI now. It started as a diversity, inclusion, and education-based program where we were going to educate just a few interns. And as you know, anything with just a few when you're dealing with Connie turns into let's invite everyone. Everyone. And so we said, well, let's let's invite the wider legal ecosystem. So CLI is this incredible summer webinar series where the intent was to educate interns and now it's to educate everyone. We bring in speakers from around the world to speak on legal operations, legal wellness, all kinds of wonderful and, and inspiring topics. And it's completely free to anyone that wants to attend. And so Connie and I have been working together over the last five years to expand our speakers and and their presence and to be able to bring new educational opportunities and diversity opportunities into the wider legal ecosystem. So it's been a really incredible experience to be able to sit alongside Connie and to bring this educational opportunity into the ecosystem.
0: No, it's, it's fantastic that you're making it available to the wider ecosystem and uh, hugely beneficial. I'm amazed by leaders like yourself who are so busy with their day jobs, with their families giving back in that way. And I know you're not just limited to CLI. What other industry initiatives are, are you involved in, Jessica?
1: Sure, absolutely. So to my own demise at certain times, I like to be involved as much as possible. So there are a number of communities around technology. So one of them being diversity technology, one of them being contracting technology that I've been able to play a part in and their advisory boards. How do we expand this? How do we bring diversity and inclusion to the wider ecosystem? But also there is a new platform that's coming, LegalOps.com. And I've been able to sit alongside a number of the leaders that are putting that together to say, what makes sense? How do we build this out? Where are the resources going to be coming from? What are we going to be giving to the ecosystem? And I was able to participate with LegalOps.com and NetApp, PwC, Elevate, and is inspired in a legal metrics portal. We worked on it for two plus years, and it was recently released to the wider legal ecosystem free of charge. And We've been able to say, are you just getting started? Head here. You can look at the metrics. Are you more advanced? Here's some other metrics for you. So uh, Connie Brenton and Connie Brenton is the the brainchild behind legalops.com. And I, I know that that's coming soon, but I've been able to be involved in a number of things and, and she is the driver of a lot of them. So it's it's great to have that relationship.
0: I've had the pleasure of knowing Mick Sheehy for a long time, I think, from PwC, who's heavily involved with that initiative with you as well. Jessica, we're, we're just running out of time. Thank you so much. This has been, I think, one of the most inspiring conversations I've had the privilege of having on the podcast. Thank you so, so much for sharing your story, being so open and giving back so much to the community. Really, really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Alex, for having me today. It was wonderful to speak with you, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.
0: Thanks so much, Jessica. I'm Alex Kelly, host of the In-House Outliers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Brightplag, an AI-powered legal operations platform where corporate legal departments gain visibility into operations, maximize productivity, and engage with outside counsel strategically. If you like this episode, then you can find more information in our show notes. If you want to hear more, then you can also find more episodes at brightlag.com forward slash legal hyphen operations hyphen podcast. Thanks again for listening to the In House Outliers podcast. We'll see you again next time.